You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Good morning. My name is Andrew Russell, and I'm one of the pastors at Grace Downtown. And it's my privilege to be able to bring before you the word of God. And so before I do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of your people, that you would open our eyes so that we can see that there are more that are for us than more than those that are against us. In Jesus' holy name, amen, amen. So we're looking at 2 Kings chapter 6, and this is the story of Elisha being surrounded by this great army. And the question before us, which is the title of the sermon, is what shall we do? Have you ever felt surrounded? Have you ever uh, felt pressure coming in on all sides? Have, have you ever felt like your problems were, were too numerous or too big to bear? You know, this, this current pandemic feels like we're, we're being surrounded by this invisible enemy that has uh, infected over 4.9 million uh, Americans and, have, and has killed over 160,000 Americans as well. And this, this current pandemic has exacerbated loneliness. It's made uh, job security and, and marriages and friendships and, 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 and depression. It's agitated us. It's, it's also been a source of anxiety and it's, and it's also exacerbated addictions. And it feels like in the year 2020, we are surrounded by so much uncertainty and ambiguity that the question, what shall we do, seems more relevant now than ever before. What shall we do? How will we respond to being surrounded on all sides? Is there a pragmatic solution to the problems that we find ourselves in? So I'm going to tackle this question, what shall we do, by looking at three types of powers that are at play for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And, and, and these three types of powers are at play in this passage. First is the power of God. Secondly is the power of of fear, and third is the power of prayer. Now, before we get into this, we, we got to understand who Elisha is. Elisha uh, means, his name means, God is salvation. El meaning God, and Yasha meaning to be saved or delivered. And Elisha was the successor of the prophet Elijah, who was taken up into heaven by chariots of fire. And Elisha followed Elijah around as, 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 a, as a protege and watched how God used Elijah to call down fire uh, from heaven. Uh, Elisha also saw in 2 Kings 1 when Elijah took off his cloak and he struck the Jordan River and the river parted like, it, like the Red Sea in Exodus. And <clears throat> Elisha uh, knew that Elijah would be taken up into heaven. And so before Elijah left, Elisha asked and said, uh, Elijah, can I have a double portion of your spirit? And Elijah says, well, if you, if you see me be take, if you see me 
get taken up into heaven, then God has granted your request. And surely enough, he did. And so Elisha has a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He, in fact, Elisha did twice the, um, the amount of mir- mir- miracles that Elijah ever did. So you have this, this prophet with a double anointing of Elijah's spirit. So, so let's get back to the story at hand. Now, uh, uh, Elisha was offering counsel to the king of Israel, and he would tell him where the king of Syria would be planning to place his troops to attack Israel before they would arrive to such and such a place. And of course, the king of Syria was furious, and he was uh, he looked at his counselors and says, "Who who is for Israel? Who is who is a traitor? Is what's going on?" And his counselors, they said, look, it's not us, but we know of this prophet in Israel who uh, who tells the king of Israel the words that you speak even in your bedroom. And so consequently, the king of Syria, he sent a great army to Dothan to capture Elisha. This this great army came at night and surrounded Elisha and his servant. And this great army was sent to capture one Man, the odds were not in Elisha's favor. Uh, surely uh, Elisha knew that the king of Syria w- would, would send this troop because remember, he knew what was going on even in the king's bedroom. And yet with this knowledge, with this prophetic knowledge, Elisha didn't run. He didn't warn his servant the day before of the uh, pending danger. He went fast to sleep that night. He he was confident that God was going to protect him because he knew the power of God. He knew God to be the Lord Sabaoth, which means uh, the Lord of hosts or the God of the armies. He knew God to be a powerful warrior. And so we're going to look at point one, the power of God. Exodus Chapter 15, verse 3 says that the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now, when you pray to God, what do you imagine him to be? For many of us, we we see God as a king, uh, God as a counselor, God as a friend, and even God as a shepherd. God as a father as well. And so all of these images are not wrong. Because they are all a part of the character of God. Yet sometimes we forget that after Psalm 23, in which David says, the Lord is my shepherd, there is Psalm 24, which says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Yes, I'm I'm talking about the King James Version. (laughs) And be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The loving shepherd we saw in Psalm 23 is the mighty warrior strong in battle in Psalm 24. And Hebrews uh, chapter 12 also says that God is a consuming fire. So I, I want you to picture, picture this image of God next time you pray. Right. Think about God sitting on the throne as a consuming fire, um, hundreds of billions time times bigger than the sun. 
surrounded by hundreds of angelic hosts who are warriors with flaming swords riding on chariots of fire. And Psalm 91 says that when you abide in the shelter of the Almighty, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand. That's you. So I want to give you a comparison. That's you. The Bible says when you abide in, in, in the, in, underneath the shadow of God, a thousand may fall at your right hand, 10,000 even. But in, but check this out. Let's see how an angel compares. In Second Kings chapter 19, the Bible says that one angel killed 185,000 men. And so if one angel can put the, can struck down, and strike down 185,000 men, then imagine how many angels, 100 million, how many people can 100 million angels put to flight and destroy? And now imagine these hundreds of millions of fierce warriors in front of God as a consuming fire. Now let's pray, right? My, my brothers and sisters, we know that Jesus is called the commander of the Lord's army. We see this in Revelations 19 when Jesus uh, is riding on a white horse with eyes of fire and a robe dipped in blood. And he's leading the angelic armies coming to destroy evil and deliver us from our enemies. So, And this is the one who encamps around us when we are surrounded by evil demonic forces that we cannot see. Yes, my brothers and sisters, God is loving. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And at the same time, God fights for his people. You know, a lot of times when you thinking about describing a person, sometimes you might say, you know, this person is a lover. Oh, that person is a fighter. But in God's case, he's a lover and a fighter. And, and God comes to fight for his people. This is the, the, the Lord, Sabaoth, the God of the heavenly armies. This is the powerful one that we serve. So let's go back to the story. So the servant sees this great army surrounding their uh, tent. And the servant asks Elijah, the servant gets up early in the morning, you know, trying to go on a morning jog. And he sees this thing and he's just like, Elijah, what are we going to do? <laughs> what shall we do? Now think about that question because there's, there's really nothing for them to do in the natural sense, right? They can't fight back. I mean, the Bible doesn't say how many uh, men there were in this army, but I'm assuming at least 100. And they can't call in the cavalry from Israel. They can't run. I mean, they could, but... You know, these brothers are on horseback, so they can't go too far. So the problem they face, it's, it's, it's large, it's, it's numerous, and it surrounds them on every side. So let's talk about fear, the power of fear. Elijah's first words to his servant are, do not be afraid. When you're surrounded by an army on all sides that's been waiting for you, uh, late at night, and, it, and they're right at your front door, and you see them early in the morning, fear is the first and obvious response, right? I mean, of course he was afraid. I 
myself would be terrified, right? Fear is a powerful emotion. Uh, many of you have seen me led uh, music singing every third Sunday, but a lot of you don't know that I was a fr- I was terrified to sing in front of people. I remember one time, excuse me, my dad asked me to sing for him special music before he preached. My dad's a preacher. And I was terrified. I, I was hyperventilating. My palms were sweating. I had butterflies in my stomach. My chest was tight. I mean, it would be, it's like a panic attack. I, I didn't know about panic attacks back then, but I'm sure I had one. And I remember going, you know, walking up the stage and singing a song, and I sang the wrong note, sung too high. Um, I was shaking. And I, I just started crying in the middle of the song. And I walked down. I stopped singing. I walked down. Uh, from the pulpit and sat on the front row. And I remember this elderly lady uh, consoling me as I was in tears. And then my dad had to preach after that. I mean, I, I, I remember times of my family members asking me to sing uh, in public and I would be terrified. I, I felt like a fish in a fishbowl surrounded by hyperactive four-year-olds, right? I, I was like, I, I was scared out of my mind. And, and, and fear robbed me of something. It robbed me of, of, of confidence and dignity. Scientists say that when we're born, that we only have two fears. We, they said that we're born with actually two fears. Number one is the fear of falling. And number two is the fear of loud noise, loud sounds or loud noises. And many neuroscientists have discovered that most of our fears are learned by watching others be afraid or our own personal experience or by written words such as beware of the dog, no trespassing or photo in force. Y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) At the root of our fears is survival and the perseverance of life, the preservation of life we, we run away from things that could hurt us. We, we jump when we're startled because our body is telling us to be alert. Your life may be in danger. We hide from things that try to attack us. We, we sometimes even fight back when it seems like uh, our way of life is threatened or controlled or limited in some way. We fear because deep down we believe that life is too precious than wanting to die. Now, I know what I'm about to say may be a sensitive subject for some of you, and I want to tread lightly. I want you to know that I'm saying this out of love to prove a point. I want to talk very briefly about suicide or the desire to die. So remember, we talked about Elijah, who was the predecessor of Elisha. And Elijah wanted to die. Now, after Elijah killed 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah in 1 Kings chapter 18, the uh, King Ahab and and Queen Jezebel heard this story and they were on the side of the, the, the Baal worshipers. And they said, Queen Jezebel said, Elijah, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. Um, so you better run. 
That's my paraphrase of it. So Elijah ran, he went into the wilderness and Elijah said these words. Elijah says, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. Elijah was depressed. He was afraid. He wanted to die. He felt like his life was now unlivable and he would rather die than continue living. Because I believe he knew that there would be a better life for him on the other side and dying to him would be better than suffering. And there are many reasons people want to die or harm themselves. And I can't get into those reasons because I'm not a doctor uh, and I'm not a professional counselor or a psychiatrist. And so I'm speaking from my own limited observation. The desire to end suffering seems to me a desire for better life somewhere else or to be at peace or, or a period of stasis. It is, I believe, a desire that is rooted in the belief that life was not meant to be lived with constant suffering. There seems to be in my opinion, a universal understanding that on a higher level, looking from the outside in, that to live is to be free from suffering. To live is to be free from danger. To live is to be free from abuse, depression and death and fear. And so the desire to die preserves this noble idea that life is not meant to be lived by suffering. You know, there are people who are anti-natalists and they believe that humans should stop having babies. Now, I got five, so I know they mad at me. Um, <laughs> so this 29-year-old man in, in San Antonio, Texas, he wanted to sue his parents for bringing him into the world. He said, and I quote, this doesn't make any sense to me to voluntarily put someone who has no needs or wants prior to their conception into this world to suffer and die. I mean, my, this brother, I know he ain't a Bahamian because if he, if he was a Bahamian and you say this, you know, man, folks be like, you hear that, you hear that quote, I brought you into this world, I could take you out. They would be taking him out. But I'm just kidding. The, but the basic tenet of, of anti-natalism says that life, even under the best circumstances, is not a gift or a miracle, but rather a harm and an imposition. Now, God is in the business of preserving life from conception all the way to adulthood. He's pro-life from, uh, from the baby all the way to the adult. And Jesus said in, in John 10, chapter 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Life is too precious. And that's why Jesus gave his life so that we might live eternally with him. We were not created to suffer and die. We were created to live eternally with God at peace, free from worry free from suffering and free from the fear of death. 
And even if you don't believe in God, the notion that true life must be free from suffering and abuse is fundamentally a biblical idea. That's why the followers of Jesus Christ celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because in the words of KB, who's a Christian rapper, he says, life ain't been, life ain't been the same since death died. And in the resurrection of Jesus, death died. Elisha was before, well, it obviously was before Jesus's time on earth, but he did, he did see his predecessor, Elijah, escape death when God took him in the chariots a fire up to heaven. And so deep down, Elisha knew that if, 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 if stuff is going to hit the fan and this army is going to take his life, that he knows that God is able to deliver him, even with a chariots of fire and, and he can escape death. And that might even be a possibility. So Elisha was not afraid because he knew that God was with him. What's even more interesting is that God's army was more numerous than the opposition. But the servant of Elisha couldn't see it because he lacked faith. Many people say that seeing is believing, but faith says that believing is seeing. Elisha knew that the amount of divine help that was available was more than the opposition that they faced. Elisha feared the Lord. And the book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul. And I'll end with the power of prayer, our final point. You know, I find it interesting that Elisha prayed for God to open his servant's eyes. You know, he could have prayed a, a lot of things. He could have prayed, Lord, strike these people down. He could have prayed, you know, Lord, kill them. Lord, uh, confuse them. Lord, you know, do something right now. But no, he prayed that the eyes of his servant would be open to see that there were more that were for them than more that was against. Now, the, the Assyrian army didn't know that they were surrounded by an even more powerful army. They were just as blind as Elisha's servant. And so prayer is powerful. Prayer opens the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. Prayer gives us a new perspective. Prayer helps us to see that there are more for us than there are more than, than those that are against us. Now, the Bible didn't say how long the chariots of fire were there. They, they could have been there the, with Elisha the whole time, even before the, the Assyrians came. That's the thing about prayer. God knows what you need even before you ask. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, verse eight, that your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask. Elisha didn't pray for God to send chariots of fire, but only to open the eyes of his servant to the already presence of God, the already available presence of God that is around them. 
Prayer changes our perspective about the armies that are surrounding us. Prayer helps us to see that the God of angel armies with a multitude of angels and chariots of fire surrounding his throne is for us. My brothers and sisters, no astronaut can fly close to the sun. And scientists say that if an astronaut were to fly in a space shuttle, the space shuttle can withstand 4,700 degrees Fahrenheit of heat. So if the space shuttle were going towards the sun, the question is how close can a space shuttle get to the sun before it completely burns up and disintegrates? Well, scientists have calculated and they have said that at roughly 1.3 million miles from the sun, that's how far a space shuttle, which can withstand 4,700 degrees Fahrenheit, that's how far they can get before it would completely burn up. In fact, the sun's heat is 28 million degrees Fahrenheit. So, they can't, you can't get close to the sun. The writer of Hebrews says that God is a consuming fire. And since God is the creator of the sun, I would imagine that he would be larger than the sun. Astronomers have discovered that the largest known star in our universe is called U.Y. Scuti or U. Scuti. I, I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. But it's U.Y. Scuti, S-C-U-T-I. And this, this star has a radius 1,700 times larger than our sun. So for the sake of the argument, let's assume that God is a 100 octillion times larger than you, Scuddy. <laughs> all right? As a consuming fire with intense heat all around him. So here's the question. How close do you think you can come near to God, who is a consuming fire, who, the, who is bigger than the biggest star, which is 1,700 times bigger than our sun? How close do you think you can come to God before being disintegrated? 1.93 million miles? A uh, hundred octillion? Check this out. Prayer says that you can come closer to God than even the gates of heaven. You can come into the throne room of God where he's seated. Hebrews 10, 19 says that we can have confidence to enter the holiest places by the blood of Jesus Christ. We can come closer to God in prayer than an astronaut in a space shuttle 1.3 million miles away can come to the sun. We have direct access to the Lord of hosts who is surrounded by angelic armies. My brothers and sisters, prayer is powerful. Now, in conclusion, I want to make just this observation and then uh, close this out. You know, we can live like the prophet Elisha. And we can still be afraid. And that, that, you know, that reality hits me because Elisha had a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He did twice the amount of miracles. Elisha was sleeping, was not afraid. 
knowing that he probably was, you know, was surrounded by this army. And Elisha's servant, who's seen this powerful prophet do these mighty acts, is afraid. My brothers and sisters, it's amazing to me how spiritual blindness can affect us as God's children. We can live in fear when we face troubles and problems when God is our heavenly father. It's like Elisha's servant living with Elisha, knowing that this that Elisha had a double portion of Elijah's spirit, does, does twice the amount of miracles. Elisha's raised the dead, called fire from heaven, uh, prayed in chariots. Of, I mean, I, look, if, I, if I'm sleeping in a, in a room with a guy like that, trust me, I'm not going to be afraid. But and, and, and so take this to the next level. But we, we serve the Lord Sabaoth, the God of the angel army, surrounded by chariots of fire, and we get afraid. <laughs> but you know what? God can open the eyes of the spiritual, spiritually blind. Jesus did it on the road uh, to Emmaus in Luke 24. The scripture says that two men were walking on the road to Emmaus and they were discussing the events of uh, Jesus's resurrection. And the Bible says that they were not allowed to uh, recognize Jesus. But Jesus, after he rose from the dead, appeared to these two men and he began to show them from Genesis all the way to Malachi, the entire Old Testament, uh, the, the law and the prophets. Jesus showed them that all of those things were concerning him, that all of scripture is about Jesus. Jesus is the power of God, the powerful word of God made flesh. Jesus has conquered death and therefore we have nothing to fear. Jesus is our high priest seated at the right hand of God, the father almighty. And so we know that God will hear our prayers. And so my brothers and sisters, I want you to be encouraged because there are more that is for us than more than those who are against. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.